Good morning. Um, welcome. Glad you're here. Back again for uh, our third and final week in this series uh, called Imago Dei, uh, which is Latin for image of God. <laughs> Don't sound so excited. Sheesh. Goodness. All right. You know, seriously. Yeah. So we're in this, we're in this series. And I know, like, I, I, appreciate, I appreciate you guys, like, responding back to me. It kind of, it's good. And then I feel like I'm not up here just like, you know, I'm, I don't even know. It's fun. It's more fun when you guys are engaging and excited about what's going on. Um, so, yeah, we're talking about uh, this phrase, image of God. And in this series, we've been exploring the question of what does it mean to be made in the image of God? Because throughout history, the interpretation of this phrase, image of God, has shaped entire cultures and societies because whatever it means to be made in the image is fundamental in understanding our meaning as humans. And so, yeah, we've spent the last couple weeks on this topic um, in the scriptures, identifying specific passages and researching certain words within them to help us better understand what it means to be made imago Dei. And what we've discovered about what it means to be made in the image of God is that it goes beyond some of the obvious conclusions that we have drawn from this phrase uh, over the years. And, and while it's true that part of what it means to be made in the image of God is that we are attributed with a soul, a mind, emotions, a distinct, like, creative intellect, um, even the ability, to, like, for our own free will, um, while all of that is true, what is also true, and what I happen to find much more interesting, is that when we look to the scriptures to explore this idea further, what we find is that what it means to be made in the image is less about differentiating humans from the rest of creation and more about relating humans in the likeness to our creator. And I find that really profound. And so we're going to dive back into the scriptures this morning. And so if you've got your Bibles with you um, and you want to follow along, I invite you uh, to open your Bibles. Uh, can anyone guess where we're starting off today? <laughs> hey, I was waiting for someone to say in the beginning. Okay, that, that would have got me. Okay, all right, but anyway, yeah, we're Genesis 1, right? Like for the third week in a row. Okay, and if you're wondering like why we keep coming back to this section of Scripture, first of all, it's sort of serving as like a home base for us in this series. Because in just two verses, Genesis 1, verses 26 and 27, um, we read about God creating humans in his image three times. Like, first of all, if something is repeated in the scriptures, like, lean in, okay? If something is repeated three times, like, it's definitely worth, like, some time and reflection. On, on that note, another reason why I've, I find it really important to come back to this section of scripture is because this stuff right here in Genesis 1 is, is the epitome of what's considered ancient Jewish, Jewish meditation literature, okay? Meaning the author who wrote Genesis... One, intended it to be read and reread and reread many, many times. And contrary to like what some might think, Genesis 1 does not and does not and was not meant to be read like a textbook or like a history book. It was supposed to be sifted through, right? Sifted through and like washed over several times, okay? Because it's, it really doesn't read like a history book. Or, or like a textbook for that matter, 
right? Where like everything is like listed, detailed out, like everything's really like crystal clear, right? More often than not, it's like clear as mud, okay? <laughs> Quite honestly. I mean, that's how I feel sometimes. Like sometimes I'm reading this, I'm like, oh my goodness, I'm getting, I'm getting a headache like reading some of this stuff. You know, it's, it's because it's supposed to be sifted. It's supposed to be like read over, meditated over, reread, prayed over. It's a process that really should take us a lifetime because it's supposed to. It is. Okay, so before we go back into Genesis 1 for the third time, um, our phrase, imago Dei, um, or image of God, in the culture at the time, uh, ancient Near Eastern culture, this phrase was reserved for, for two things, and really two things only, idols and kings. And we've already talked about idols, okay, and how the word uh, used here in Genesis 1 for image is actually the same word used for idol. Like it's, it's most common translation in our Bibles is idol. And, and in those cultures, idols served a few different purposes, but most often they were statues made in the image of a god or gods that were meant to glorify whatever god or gods, like tiny g, okay, that they resembled. And so these statues, though they weren't the actual gods themselves, um, they were made to be an image of those gods as well as mediate the, the power and the presence um, of those gods, okay? So the title image of God uh, was reserved for idols, and it was also reserved for kings. In fact, kings in that day and age uh, were so closely tied to the gods that they were often considered gods themselves, right? God kings, Okay, that's exactly what the pharaohs considered themselves to be. They considered themselves to be, to be God kings. Okay, and not, because not only were they considered like gods themselves, but they were also like considered to be the embodiment of the gods. So this is kind of a big deal. So when the opening pages of, of the scriptures come out and, and they claim that all humanity, all humanity is made in the image of God, in a culture where that title was really only reserved for two things, idols and kings, like this was a bold claim because whatever like being made in the image of God was shaped societies. Think of how this impacted the existence of class systems and societal hierarchies, right? If everyone is made in the image of God, all of that, all of that comes crumbling down. And while this was revolutionary, for that day and age, I think this is just as revolutionary for us today. And so we're going to talk about that. Because what does it mean? What does it mean to be a king or queen? More than being like fanned by a giant palm tree leaf and being hand-fed grapes, okay, like more than that, what do kings do? What do kings and queens do? They rule. Like they rule. That's what they do. They rule. They command and delegate with authority and stuff gets done, right? What they say, what the king says goes, right? Like the king has spoken. The king says, build me a pyramid. A pyramid is built. King says, everyone pays taxes. Everybody pays taxes. And although ruling is not like explicitly said, um, where we see like 
in the scriptures, like when we see God ruling on page, page one of the Bible, although it's not explicitly said, like this is, this is what people would have thought of as that. God is in the first pages of the Bible speaking and things are happening, right? He's speaking and chaos is being ordered. He speaks and trees, bushes, and grass begin to cover the earth. He speaks, and the starry expanse comes into existence. He speaks, and fish fill the seas. Birds fly in the sky. Bison herd in the fields. Horses roam the plains. Bees and butterflies start pollinating the wildflowers. And so the ancient readers would have read this, and, and they're starting to connect the dots. They're like, whoa, this is a God that rules over all of creation. Clearly, this is a God who is also king. And then they would have gotten to verse 26. And so here we go, Genesis 1, verse 26, again, for the third week in a row. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and in the birds in the sky, over the livestock and over all of the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image, in the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. Not only is the title image of God being given to all humans here, but on top of that, there is something explicit being made about what it means to be made in his image. He's saying something that we are called to do. And it says it right there. Rule. Rule. When humans rule, they bear God's image. This is what we were created to do, to rule. Now, I would imagine that that's not what most of you think of when you think about what it is that you do, right? For example, if someone asks you, what do you do? Most of us will probably reply with something along the lines of like, well, you know, I'm a, I'm a, I, I, I do so and, I, so and so at whatchamacallit, right? Like that's, that's what I do, essentially, okay? Or, or I'm a junior in high school. Or I'm in my second year in college, okay, or I'm a stay-at-home parent, or I'm retired, and I volunteer here, and I serve there, um, or I just play golf all day. I don't know. Like, whatever, whatever my point is, when most of us consider what we do, we don't think of rule, unless your name's O'Doyle, because O'Doyle's rule. Okay, all right. Some of you got that, and I'm, I'm really glad. Okay, I'm sorry, I had to. But I don't, again, I don't know about you guys, but when I think of this, like, I don't, at least for me, this isn't what I think of when it comes to what I do. Okay, like, I don't, I don't come here throughout the week and think, like, yeah, I'm going to rule this biz. Yeah, I'm going to, this meeting, I'm going to rule this meeting. You know, I guess, well, except for in the context of, like, I was a youth pastor for, like, five years, and so when it came to, like, dodgeball games, I definitely ruled. Okay. It was against middle schoolers, but, come on, still ruled. Okay? Absolutely wanted to rule there. However, um, the answer to the question, what do you do, for most of us, is work. It's work. And it could be work of any kind, but it's usually something that you are doing throughout the week, like putting a lot of time and energy and effort into. But it's not rule. Most of us know what it means to work, but what does it mean to rule? And if God created us in his image, 
and we bear his image by ruling, what does that look like for us? Genesis 1, verse 28. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the sky, over every living creature that moves on the ground. Then God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit and seed in it. They will be yours for food. And to all the beasts of the earth and the birds in the sky and all the creatures that move along the ground, everything that has the breath of life in it, I give every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning the sixth day. So God creates humans in his image, right, to, to, to rule, and then he says, be fruitful, increase in number, fill the earth, and subdue it. Rule, rule. N.T. Wright refers to this as our divine vocation as humans, image-bearing. That our main task as humans, what we are supposed to do, is bear the image of God. And we bear the image of God by reflecting the Creator's wise rule and stewardship into the world, and then reflecting, like a good idol, the praises and glory back up to creation, back up to, or of creation, back up to the Maker, back up to the Creator. So the context, in the context of Genesis 1, humans rule by being fruitful, increasing in numbers, filling the earth and subdue it. Uh, humans rule when they're good gardeners in Genesis 1. When they're good gardeners. When they use what the Lord has provided as good and subdue it to make more good. But it does need to be subdued. Anyone who's ever tended a garden knows that it needs to be worked and controlled in order to multiply and yield a harvest. I mean, what happens if you just take a pile of dirt, throw some seed on it, and just let it go? Like, it's chaos, right? It's chaos, especially if, like, there was some mint in there. Holy cow, it's a nightmare. Trust me, speak from experience here. <laughs> Like, it goes ballistic. So if you're lucky, what you'll, uh, sorry, not if you're lucky, what you're going to end up with is if you let that happen, you're going to end up with just a bunch of weeds, a lot of mint, okay? And then, like, essentially, maybe if you're lucky, one or two veggies or fruit. Okay, like, that, that's, that's, that's what you'll get. Tending a garden requires hard work and good stewardship. But when done right... A garden can yield some of the most beautiful, colorful sights that you'll ever see, and some of the most wonderful, tasteful foods you'll ever eat, along with plenty to share. The same goes for tending and caring for animals. Sheep, cows, goats, chickens will provide naturally, but can flourish. They can flourish under the care of humans. The same is true for neighborhoods and cities, and towns. This is how creation was designed to function and flourish, under the stewardship, the rule, of the image bearers of God, because that is how we bear the image. This is our vocation. This is what we do. We often think of what we do 
our, our work as instrumental to the kingdom of God. But in the garden, work was intrinsic to the kingdom of God. Our work, what we do, isn't just something that God, it's not just something that God uses because it makes money that God can then use for his church or for his kingdom, or because it's, it's just a way to, to share the gospel or invite people into his kingdom. And, or, or the tragedy that I think as a pastor is when someone thinks that in order to glorify God that, that they need to go into like vocational ministry or, or mission work and serving in like the local church or, or far away and get out of their career, their, their good career in, in marketing or in sales or whatever they've been doing. But in actuality, it is in our work that we glorify God. Our work what we do is part of bearing God's image. It is a part of who we are because it is a part of who God is. God is a worker. Genesis 2, like I'm not sure why they split this right here from Genesis 1 to Genesis 2, but right after he created humans, this is at the very beginning of Genesis 2, verse 1, thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. By the seventh day, God had finished the work that he had been doing so on the seventh day, he rested from all of his work, and then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it, he rested from all of the work of creating that he had done. Like work, again, like it's the repeated three times here, right after he makes us in his image. Three times in just two verses, we read about God as a worker. And friends, this is so much more than just what you do like all week or part of the week. Work is definitely work, and when we work hard, that absolutely honors and brings glory to God. But our vocation, what we are supposed to do is to bear the image, and that is so much more than just what you do day in and day out. So much more than that. Friends, how we care and value others is work. It is a part of stewarding, stewarding God's good creation as image bearers, very good creation, others. How we care for the earth and its well-being is work, and it's part of stewarding God's creation as image bearers. How we are in relationship is work, really hard work sometimes. Being married is really hard work. Being a parent is really hard work. Bearing, being an image-bearing human is really hard work. But it is good. Very good, actually. And there is fruit. To go back to that, that garden imagery that is used in Genesis 1, there is fruit in all of those things. Good things come out of subduing and stewarding good things in the right way, because we can do it wrong. A lot of us have experienced it, experienced what it looks like to steward God's goodness wrongly, or to have been on the other side of someone else stewarding God's goodness wrong. This is what it means. This is what it means to image God to rule the world on God's behalf in a way that not only brings honor to God, but also honors the intention 
and purpose of the Creator. And in doing so, we glorify God. Which is why Paul, it comes full circle, right? Which is why Paul can come and say, like, whether you're eating or drinking, whatever you're doing as a human, if you're in relationship, as a parent, as a coworker, as a friend, whatever you are doing, driving to work, whatever you are doing, you can do it to God's honor. As we learned last week, to God's kavod to bring God glory, to increase God's kavod. There's another um, image that N.T. Wright uses that I just think is, is again, like just really profound. N.T. Wright's a really smart guy, okay? Um, very smart guy. And so he, he uses this image of an angled mirror. And he kind of says, um, th- there's, this, there's this idea that, that God, when God created humans, there's this angled mirror and that we reflect God's image out into creation. So when you look at a human, right, we kind of talked a, bit, a little bit about this last week, right? C.S. Lewis, like one of my favorite lines in one of his books, says like, if you, were to, if you were to just grasp the glory of the person sitting next to you, you would be tempted to bow before them, right? That's something C.S. Lewis says. And so when you look to humans, you are supposed to see that reflection of God, like that was what it was supposed to be all along. Like God's rule and stewardship and care and love for the world was supposed to be reflected out through us. And then in turn, because there's that angled mirror, right? And then in turn, all the glory that God set in creation, all of the praise that we read in the scriptures gets reflected back up through us to our creator. It's such a neat image and I think it's spot on as we consider what it means to bear God's image to increase God's kavod, to glorify him. We honor God by living into our vocation as image bearers, by reflecting his love and goodness out into the world through the many things that require work, hard work in our lives. And then by reflecting whatever glory back up to him. Now, I get it. <clears throat> this stuff, this stuff that, we're, that I'm talking about is really hard work. And sometimes I really suck at it too, more often than not. Sometimes I want to do it my own way because it's easier, more convenient, but more, more often it's because I, I just like it my way. I think my way's better. And usually the result leaves me worse off than I was before. Man, if that's you today, feeling like the work is just too hard, or that you're too far gone, or that there's no possible way you could ever bear God's image. Can I remind you that there is literally only one person who ever pulled it off? One person. Only one human who ever perfectly bore the image. And his name is Jesus. And he says to you, come. 
come to me. He says, if you are weary or burdened, come to me. Jesus knows the weight of the work you carry, and he says to you, let me help. He says, I've got you. Follow me, he says, and let me show you how to do this. Let me show you how to garden. It's hard work, but I know how to do it, and I can show you. Follow me, he says, and I will make you new, clean you up, dust you off, shine and polish you back into the image. I will give you life, Jesus says. You're not too far gone because I will never leave you. Jesus says, not me, Jesus. Friends, this morning, um, as we wrap up this series, there's just so much. There's so much in here. So much, really, that we didn't even get to to cover about this. So, So my challenge for you guys is, is don't just make this something that, like, you learn about for three weeks, and then it's, oh, yeah, that was cool. Like, next time I hear Imago Day, I know what that means. Can I just encourage you to, to, to think about this, meditate on this as you read the scriptures? But not only that, as you go about your life, every day, every daily activity, everything that you do has purpose because you have value, because of a vocation to bear God's image. This is good stuff, and it's fundamental for us as humans as we understand or try to understand what it means to be human? That's a big question. But it's one that I believe God wants us to consider. Can I pray for you guys? My mind just comes back to Psalm 8, Lord. Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory in the heavens. Through the praise of children and infants, you have established a stronghold against your enemies to silence the foe and the avenger. God, when I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars that you have set in place, Lord, what am I that you are mindful of me? Who am I that you would care for me? And yet, God, you have made me a little lower than the angels, a little lower than the heavenly beings, in your image, God, you have crowned me with glory and honor. You have made us rulers over the works of your hands. You have put everything under our feet, all flocks and herds, and the animals of the wild, the birds in the sky, the fish in the sea, all that swim in the seas. Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all of the earth. God, what a beautiful psalm, and I'm grateful for it as we consider what it looks like and what it means to reflect your image, your glory into creation. And then that we have an opportunity to reflect that back to you, to glorify you. Thankful for this opportunity this morning. I pray, God, that these, this idea of what it means to be made in your image is something that, that sticks with us this week something that we find um, in everything that we do. It comes up as we're calling our mom, 
as we're in a difficult relationship with a brother or sister, or sibling, or friend, we remember that we bear your image. Or to our coworkers, the friends we hang out with, what we go out and do on Friday night, Saturday night, even when we come here on Sunday mornings, that we bear your image. And everything that we do. Jesus, you are with us and you showed us this. So I'm grateful, Lord, that you don't leave us or forsake us, that you, that you intended to show us how to live bearing God's image. So I'm thankful for that, Lord. Thankful that we can be redeemed back into the image of God by your life, by choosing to follow you. I'm grateful for that, Lord. I thank you for this opportunity this morning, the people who are here and aren't here. We're grateful. Amen. Friends, as we close out this series and we consider this idea of Imago Dei and its implications, my hope is that we have a better understanding, a more profound understanding of our meaning, because out of that flows purpose and all that we do, value because of what we are, and a divine vocation that we were created for. Amen? Amen. Good stuff.